0: Hello, I'm Lee O'Neill, I'm Executive General Manager for Business Direct and Small Business for NAB. Welcome to my podcast series, Building Better Small Businesses. Entrepreneurship and innovation have become buzzwords in society today, and particularly recently in Australia, with the belief that a healthy startup up sector is critical to fostering a new wave of growth for our Australian economy. In fact, our recent research at NAB suggests that around one in three Australians would like to own their own business. With young Australians, the most aspiration and in fact, half of young Australians would like to be entrepreneurs. We've got a huge community of budding entrepreneurs eager to get their ideas off the ground. Or have we? And part of their struggle is receiving funding from the venture community. Is that really what's holding us back in growing our entrepreneurial spirit? I'm delighted to be joined today by somebody that I personally admire and that I've had the fortune of knowing for a number of years now. Laura McKenzie is the CEO and Director of Scale Investors. Scale was set up to solve the problem that female entrepreneurs are those who really struggle to receive funding from the venture community. Their purpose is to connect entrepreneurs with investors who not only invest in these businesses, but help with the due diligence process, sit on the boards of these companies and surround entrepreneurs with mentors and investor networks with the belief that it's this additional support that helps these businesses succeed. I'm going to ask Laura in a minute to talk us more through the journey of scale. But first of all, I wonder if Laura, and hello, welcome. Thank you, Lee. It's a pleasure to be here. You might be able to help set the scene for the entrepreneurial community in Australia. Now, I read recently that last year more than $1 billion was raised by funds in Australia to service this market. That feels a little bit to me like an overnight success. And if I reflect on the conversations we've been having over the last five years or more now, it feels like the industry has taken quite a long time to reach that point.
1: It may well seem that way. Um, In fact, there are a number of entrepreneurs who are in the press now who um, really have been working on their business for five, six, seven, often more than 10 years and all of a sudden are startups just because they're scaling all of a sudden. Um, There's actually been a venture capital industry in Australia for about the last 20 years and it's been quite cyclical. The last large amount of funding came into the space in 2007, which in hindsight was a very challenging time because in 2008 and 2009, it was very hard to grow businesses. Um, To recruit staff was expensive. To bring customers on board took longer. And so a lot of those businesses really underperformed and consequently the funds underperformed. And so the superannuation industry stayed out of the market really for almost a decade. And it's only been in the last 12 months that they've come back and some very large funds. um, Brandon has raised $200 million. There's four superannuation funds invested in that business. You have Blackbird at $200 million, Airtree Ventures at $250 million. And both of them have very significant inputs um, from the superannuation industry. Other funds such as SquarePeg and One Ventures, Rampersand, a few others, round that up to more than a billion dollars in the last year. And those funds will be deployed um, over the next 10 years. So, you know, we're really looking at at least $100 million going to work each year. Um, but there's an increasing number of private investors um, who are also looking at this space. So I think the real dollar value Um, invested in this sector is probably closer to double that.
0: Inspiring for any entrepreneurs out there listening to this podcast, and I hope inspiring for investors in that more individuals and funds now see merit in supporting entrepreneurship. 2013 is the year that you founded Scale. I wonder if you could talk to me through that journey of how you decided actually One of the answers in supporting this sector was starting a fund yourself.
1: So my background was in venture capital and I was one of the few women who um, was a professional investor in this space. And I realised that a fraction of the deal opportunities that we saw to invest in had women on the founding team. Um, And in fact, I had never been involved in investing in a business that had a female founder. Um, And I thought this was alarming and surprising. Um, And the more research that I did, the more I discovered that this was a common problem. Um, 96% of the investment community globally is male. Um, And so it's therefore no surprise that less than 9% of those that have been successful in raising capital have been women. Um, So we we did quite a lot of research, myself and my co-founders, Susan Oliver, Carol Schwartz and Annette Kimmett and really discovered that actually there's a strong economic argument for focusing on investing in female entrepreneurs, for both men and women investing in female entrepreneurs Um, and we have about 110 members, 23 of whom are male and they're absolutely welcomed as part of the community because it's about having a diverse perspective around the table. There's an increasing body of research that says actually women make better investors. And so as an entrepreneur, you probably want to have a woman on your cap table. So we, we hope to generate great returns while also making social change. And we wouldn't be in this unless we believed that there was a strong economic argument for doing it. So I'd love
0: to come back in a minute as to why it is you think that less women are funded and choose to become entrepreneurs. But but first of all, I understand that, yes, the, the, the female investor salant is certainly a differentiator for scale, but also it's your search for disruptive technologies. Why did you think that was a point of differentiation in this market?
1: Well, look, I think any business that is looking to scale today is leveraging technology. And I think all investors are technology investors. And um, I think often women, when they're pitching, will pitch themselves as a fashion business or a financial services business that, by the way, happens to be using technology, whereas often men, when they pitch, will say, I'm a technology business and I'm focused on financial services. But I think, you know, we're all intelligent enough to look through that. Um, And um, we've had nearly 800 female entrepreneurs we've had conversations with. Um, we have over 100 investors and um, there's a lot lot going on in the space.
0: Do you think it's harder to find female entrepreneurs to have conversations with than it is to find male entrepreneurs to have conversations with?
1: Um, look, certainly in terms of the number of businesses that are started each year, I, in particular, I know the statistics for Victoria, I know there's more businesses registered each year by women than there are by men. Often... Um, Women tend to start lifestyle businesses. Um, We're really looking to invest in high growth, scalable businesses. Um, And I think the more women we have as role models who have been successful in doing that, um, for example, like Sayan Taid at Envato, um, there's some wonderful women who are angels within the scale network. Lindsay Cadamel had a very successful technology business that she sold, and a number of our um, investors are entrepreneurs. Lisa Galbraith would be another who recently sold ClearDocs. Um, and I think we do tend to invest in people like us um, and or people we once were or maybe people we wish we were. And I think that very much is along gender lines. Um, I don't know about you, Lee, but certainly more of my professional network are women. Um, and so I think that helps... Um, in making those connections.
0: Well, that's a conversation we have very often at now being a strong proponent of diversity, but individuals naturally form their own networks. So it's interesting how we counter that. And that would be relevant for you and the investors you look to attract. I wonder if you could talk to us about the support that your investors provide to the businesses as well as the upfront money.
1: Yeah. Um, look, I think some of the biggest challenges for anyone in establishing a business is in attracting other people to your vision and that really talks to recruitment of the best talent Um, and so we've provided quite significant assistance in helping to identify um, new recruits for the companies we've invested in and the second is in securing customers and in particular securing marquee or brand, brand name customers which will attract other customers to your business and so we'll often go along with the entrepreneur to a meeting, we'll find out who the decision maker is and often within our network we know that person quite well. So really trying to help with you know, some additional endorsement of, of the entrepreneur.
0: So uh, that network of credible resource sounds like one of the challenges that startup entrepreneurs might have. What other challenges do you commonly see with the entrepreneurs that you're in conversation with?
1: We've just had a week of investor forums where the entrepreneurs pitch to us and we do that every every couple of months and we have about 70% of our investors attend those in person so it's a great opportunity to hear from the entrepreneur. But one of the things we're really testing is how well is the entrepreneur listening to us as potential investors in the questions that we're asking And for us, that's a really great proxy for how well they're listening to their customers. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges an entrepreneur faces is knowing when to pivot your model.
0: I think that's not just entrepreneurs. I'm I'm going to say all businesses (laughs) have that challenge. And listening to customers is a really clear direction of how you pivot that model. So that sounds like a really valuable piece of advice to any entrepreneurs out there truly listen to your potential investors, would that be fair?
1: Yeah, and, and I think you're right, it goes, goes for any type of business, yeah. including a bank.
0: Yeah. So we, um, we, we talk about the, the growth of this sector and the budding entrepreneurship in Australia. In your opinion, and you have a, a great oversight of this as an industry and
1: you, know, you would look globally, how entrepreneurial do you think Australia is? we have a wonderful reputation for great research we have a terrible reputation for commercialization but i also think as a country we could do a lot better at marketing ourselves you know in the last year i've been in the us in the uk and in israel and some of the entrepreneurship that's happening in, in Australia and ideas that have been developed are real kind of world changers. Um, and I think we need to be much more confident in our in marketing Australia as a destination and in marketing our ideas. And I think one of the, the best things that Australian large companies can do to support our entrepreneurial community is to buy from them. You know, you can start off with a pilot. If it works, you can scale. Often, I, we do see you know the procurement policies of large companies require a significant balance sheet and liability insurance which startups aren't going to have to have proven your idea offshore um, you know and I think we can really be early adopters of technology that's been created here
0: Well that leads me very perfectly to my next question, which is from your viewpoint how do you think the corporates and the big businesses in Australia can draw insight from the entrepreneurial community to become more innovative?
1: I think there's some really interesting concepts around corporate innovation and working with labs either inside of your organisation or externally to you know, work in an agile way, do fast design sprints and really test and either succeed or fail, tweak it and succeed or fail and um, just to really move much more quickly and in smaller collaborative cross-functional teams and break out of the silos and really that's I think how innovation is going to happen in larger organisations.
0: So we have a function in NAB called NAB Labs and what's been so rewarding for me over the last you know, two years since I've been working more closely with them is watching how the mindset is actually the key to driving innovation in other areas. And sometimes you don't need a separate environment to drive that innovation. So I think that's that great observation to hear from you. I, I wanted to go back on this global position for Australia because I think there's also a rhetoric that many of our entrepreneurs need to go abroad to get the funding that they need
1: to move from small to scale up. Do you think that's a fair reflection or...? well i think as we were reflecting on earlier you know this billion dollar plus of funds that's been committed to invest in the sector over the next 10 years will will help change that there has certainly been talk in the past of where you're looking to raise 15 million dollars plus they're not being enough Capital within the Australian sector, and you having to seek funding from offshore, not necessarily going offshore to do that yourself. Um, and I think what has started to happen is, you know, these offshore funds are interested in what's happening in Australia, so they'll continue to look, but I think they'll start to co invest with local funds. Um, so that'll be great in terms of keeping the companies here, bringing more jobs here, but also keeping some of the raw rewards of where those companies scale here. If you, entrepreneur, right now and you
0: want to make yourself attractive or find these funds or become attractive to
1: you know the potential injection of global interest what's your advice? So um, Avcal the Australian Venture Capital Association has a list of all of the funds Um, look at when those funds were raised they tend to be eight to ten years in life and they tend to invest in new companies in the first half of their life so have a think about whether there's fresh capital to invest. Um, But talk to your friends. Often the first round of capital comes from people that know you, that are prepared to invest because they love you and they want you to succeed. Um, And um, look to work with a lot of the universities have programs for you to test ideas. Maybe go along to a hackathon where on a Friday night you get to pitch your idea and try and have a team form around you. And on Sunday, you're pitching on what you've done over the last 48 hours and it's a great way to quickly test what you have in mind and if you do well in that then that's a great sign to move on to the next step if perhaps you struggle to attract people to your team when you're pitching on the Friday night that might be an indication that you maybe need to think about a different way to communicate what you're doing or perhaps change the idea slightly
0: In a number of these conversations, it's been reflected back to me that investors invest in the individuals and the people over the idea.
1: Do you think that's fair? Absolutely. It is a people business. And often we will track what someone's done in one business and look to invest in them in their next business. Um, We recognise that the ideas might pivot and change and the people will learn from that.
0: So, scale. Scale. I wonder if you could talk a bit more about how you've found companies to invest in and what the impact you think has been in those and what's your objectives over this coming year?
1: Yeah, so we've invested in a diverse group of companies, everything from visual search technology to drug discovery to water to battery packaging technology and influencer marketing. Um, And those businesses have come to us through our networks, so often referred from within our angel group itself, through incubators and accelerators that may or not be focused on women. There's a a few organisations that are focused on women like Springboard and Heads Over Heels and that's a great source of deal flow for us.
0: So so deal flow is is a word that's used often in the entrepreneurial and innovation community I wonder if you could give some context for, for an observer on what deal flow really means and for you, how critical that is to the success of scale.
1: So we've spoken to about 800 female entrepreneurs. Um, I would classify it as deal flows. If I've had a conversation with them, we've had a look at their materials. Um, about a third of those have formally applied to us and we've invested in 10 Um We've invested just over $5 million in those 10 businesses and all of them are looking to grow and will no doubt be seeking more capital going forward. And there's certainly capacity within our group to support them as they grow. And what we think is a great opportunity for people who don't perhaps have the time to be angel investors is to invest alongside scale angels in a fund. Um, So we have a financial service license and have set up what is called an early stage venture capital limited partnership. So that if you're interested in investing in a diverse pool of female-led um, businesses, you would invest in the fund over a 10-year period. And that fund is a $20, $25 million fund. And we've raised a lot, but not all of it yet.
0: So I'd love to talk a bit more about that. In terms of raising funds, what are the characteristics and the behaviour traits you see in really successful investors?
1: So someone has written a book about Warren Buffett, which says, invest like a girl, um, I think in this space you need to be patient, you also need to be collaborative because you want to have the best heads around the table. Um, And I think those are traits that, speaking very generally now, as a gender, women have in spades.
0: So investing like a girl is a a motto that we'd stick to, is it?
1: Absolutely. (laughs)
0: And so the
1: entrepreneurs, let's take them, what what do you think is the great characteristics you've seen in your entrepreneurs? They need to be ambitious. They also need to be incredibly resilient. And when we talk about resilience, we talk about emotional resilience, because it's a tough journey, intellectual resilience to learn where you need to pivot your model and when, and physical resilience, because you need to look after yourself. Um, And Lee, you and I have talked about the importance of well-being in entrepreneurs before. So those are really what we look for. And the last attribute would be trust, you know you're often seeking to raise capital from individuals or organizations who really don't know you very well. They might have looked at your business for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And that investment is likely to be held for three, four, five years. So there's a huge amount of trust that we place in you to execute on your vision. Um, And so I think resilience, trust, and listening skills.
0: I think that's just so interesting that you've cited those characteristics, Laura, because having known you for the last five years, those are characteristics that I've seen you display as you've grown scale and I'm sure you've had some tough times during that process. I wonder if you could talk me to me a bit more through what's kept you motivated throughout this journey.
1: I think, Lee, I just really believe in the economics of it and it's really important for productivity not only within Australia but globally that we are leveraging 100% of the assets that a country has um, rather than just 50%. So it's really important to bring women into the game and I personally feel that as a first mover in this space there's an arbitrage opportunity for scale um, to take a leading position in investing in female entrepreneurs.
0: What's your perspective on this ongoing entrepreneurship in Australia?
1: Well, I think the future of work really is the gig economy. Um, I think within five years, 50% of us are going to have portfolio careers, and so we're, 50% of us will be entrepreneurs of kind. Some of those entrepreneurs will have ideas that are investable, others won't. Um, but I think you know, we're, we're, we have to become a country of entrepreneurs in order to survive in the future.
0: So we'll have many budding entrepreneurs that listen to our conversation today Laura. What would be your advice to them on how they go about approaching
1: investors? So do some research. Every investor is is different. Within Scale, we've got five archetypes of investors: non-exec directors, corporate entrepreneurs, partners at professional service firms, family offices, and entrepreneurs who've been successful and sold their businesses. So do some research on the people that you're looking to pitch to. Maybe try and find some people who um, have grown and sold businesses in your sector and work out from there. Try and find someone who can give you a soft introduction. um, and we're aware that the industry is, does appear very closed to the outside. So one of the things we do is we run open office hours once a month in Melbourne and once a month in Sydney. So if you want to approach scale, you're very welcome to come along to those sessions. And that's very much a forum to ask questions, understand more about the process in a non-judgmental way. So that when you do apply to us, you're able to put together an application that gives you the best possible outcome. So, I would encourage anybody,
0: entrepreneurs out there, to, to look up Scale. I have always been 100% impressed with the way that you approach the entrepreneurial business you are growing with a great entrepreneurial spirit, Laura. So, thank you very much for joining me today. And, with, wishing you the very best of luck yourself and the very best for Scale's future.
1: Thanks, Lee.